Welcome, welcome. Before I roll today's episode, I just wanted to say g'day and let you know that this episode has been sitting on my to-do list since June last year. That's eight months ago. Holy guacamole. But it's worth the wait, let me tell you. This is one of my top three favourite episodes of all time. I could just talk about it forever. Anyway, enjoy it. I'm currently on my friend's block of land in Strathbogie, which is a small little town a couple of hours out of Melbourne in the state of Victoria. I'm living my best life and I can't wait to chat to you next week. Welcome back to another episode of The Pursuit of Freedom. Joining me today is Trisha Rose Burt. Trisha lived for almost 30 years in what she called a prescribed life uh, before stumbling upon her inner artist and leaving her rather lucrative job, but soul-sucking, job behind. Um, She hasn't had a so-called real job since 1992 and considers herself, wonderfully in my opinion, unemployable. Today, Trisha is a performing artist, podcast host, a storyteller, a speaker, a coach, and credits art as helping save her life. I can't wait to dive in. Trisha, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, I'm just delighted to be here, Rosie. Thanks so much for asking me. No, it's... I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Before we get into some of the other topics I want to discuss with you, I would love to hear who you were as a little girl and growing up. Who was Trisha Burt and what was life like? So it's so interesting that you say this. Several years ago, I was at my mother's house and she had, um, they'd had to replace a hot water heater. That had been in a closet that had not been looked at for 23 years. And they opened the door and, you know, and there were all these boxes in there. And they were filled with, like, photos and all this kind of stuff. And I found this poster that I made when I was about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it said, please come see me in a play Thursday at 1 p.m., Trisha Burt. Wow. And I, I had, like you know, drawn all these little, you know, in crayon, all these little, like, illustrations. And I thought, well, nothing much has changed. I'm still trying to get people to come see me in a play. <laughs> but, but what was interesting, I sort of stopped for a second, I thought, well, I took, like, a 40-year detour before I actually did that. So I think as a child, I mean, I was, you know, if there was a school play, I was in it you know, wrote half of them. And then somewhere along the way got all the signals that this was not exactly what I needed to do moving forward. Like it was okay to be, you know, it's okay to be creative in certain, it's okay to be creative as a kid and it's okay to be, you know, in the school place, you know. And then at some point you sort of figure out, well, if I want to fit in, I might want to go this more, you know, which was very important to me to be able to fit in, mm-hmm. that I might want to go a more conventional route. It was very clear to me, you know, in the seventh and eighth grade, the way to go here is more conventional, like go be a cheerleader, go be a, you know, go do those sort of sanctioned things. And so I, I just never really th- thought that was an option. I mean, I can remember when I went to college, I don't know if they have things like sororities over in Australia, but, you know, there are these social groups and universities here. 
And I was in one, and it was fabulous. But I would look at this group called The Original Cast, and they all got together and sang Broadway musicals. And I was like, I, I want to be in that. <laughs> I want to be in that. But I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of this just training I'd had or this just, these just, you know, I call it the declaration of conformity. I have this like whole, like, mm. here's how I was supposed to conform. And that was just, you know, it felt, it. I didn't feel safe not doing that. You know, I felt like if I went the conforming way, then, you know, I'd get approval and acceptance and community. And if I went off that track, it was like I was going to lead a lonely, wretched death. You know, I mean, just, <laughs> so it took me, you know, it took me a while. I mean, to answer your question, I was very creative and always in front of people. And then, you know, that idea of having a big personality became not an asset, but a liability. And it took me a long time to say, hey, wait a second. You know, I was always told I was too sensitive and I was too dramatic. And I'm like, now that's what I make my living on. But, you know, uh-huh. but I just kind of the, the world I lived in really didn't know what to do with me. And, you know, that's okay. It's okay. You know, it makes for good material now with stories, you know. I really relate to... You know, you talk, you, you referred to it as the declaration of conformity and you're trying to fit in and that's something I can relate to and mm. I think so many other people can. What are your thoughts on where this expectation or this constraint comes from? Why do we grow up thinking we need to fit in? Well, I do think, you know, with the best intentions – our families and society and teachers and all that stuff. It's like, you know, just, it's almost like a, this is how you stay safe. It's like, this is how you stay safe. You know, take, be practical, be logical, be sensible. And, and I think it comes from a place of, of concern. I mean, but it can, it can actually come from a place of fear. I had to learn, I mean, I always say that the riskiest thing I can do is play it safe. Because I tried to play it safe for a very long time, and it all blew up on me. And I'm just not the person. It just It's not how I'm wired. It's not how what I was called and how I was supposed to navigate through life. There are times I wish, darn, why aren't I still working at Fidelity Investments making a fire hose of cash? You know I mean? <laughs> it was a lot easier in some ways. And other ways, it was like, Oh, it was, you know, soul killing. I mean, not some people thrive in that environment. Business can be a very creative environment. For me, the way that I am wired, I need to be in the middle of creative collaborations at all time. You know, that's mm-hmm. what works best for me. But I do think, you know, it's not, I don't think people are malicious or I just think it comes from a place of be safe, you know, yeah. just be safe. And one person's safe is another person's, ah, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, so true. and that was for me, it was like, oh, geez, yeah, that's not working. You know, that's not yeah. working. And was there a breaking point for you? Because you were, you were in the corporate world. Oh, yeah, there's a big breaking point. Yeah, so, so tell me I, about that. 
Yeah, I was in public relations for years because I had been told I was good with people, which, by the way, really has nothing to do with public relations. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it's helpful if you're good with people in any profession. You know, <laughs> like yeah, it's, yeah. It works to be good with people. You know, but there's a, a lot of writing and there's a lot of media, you know, work. And there's a lot of, you know, just billing your time in 15-minute increments. And, you know, it just... I was good at it for a really long time, and then I was basically telling other people's stories, right? I wasn't telling my story. I was telling other people's stories. And I was in New York while I was doing that, and I left New York and went to Boston, and I was like, I'm just, I am, you know, I am not going to work in public relations. It's not what I'm going to do. I went to a career counselor, and she said, really, you know, all this battery of tests and everything. And she said, well, here's the deal. Um, you need to, you know, work on your own, not for anybody else. You need a tremendous amount of freedom and you need to be in the arts. And I was like, I have no idea who that person is. Like, I just like, I had no idea who she was talking to. And I promptly took a job as director of corporate communications for a financial services firm because I just couldn't process I mean, she basically said, you were in the wrong life. <laughs> and so, and I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to even process that. So I went and did what I knew how to do. And of course, was miserable again mm-hmm. and left. And I left and became um, and started consulting. You know, I worked for Harvard Business School and I worked for Fidelity Investments. And, and at the same time, I was taking... Um, classes to figure out what else I might could do for the living and I was French and needlepoint and I go over this my I I would say my origin story of sorts is how to draw a naked man which I told for the moth which is an organization here in the states which I know has been in Sydney and done some shows down in Sydney and I, I sort of stumbled into this art class called art as process and you know, I was like, what class should I take? And they were like, take artist process. And we take burnout executives in that class all the time. I'm like, okay. And I signed (laughs) up, you know, I walked into art school and like, no one fits in. I'm like, I, this is where I fit in because no one fits in here. That's the point. No one's fitting in here. I took, it was a six weeks art class. I went in thinking, you know, this is a once in a lifetime thing. I'll probably end up in business school. And then at the end, I applied to art school and got in and was like, what you know and I was I was thrilled and I was also terrified because I knew I was now going to a very different place in my life and I probably wasn't going to turn back and I always joke about art school and I with my instructors who I'm still very close to and this was 30 years ago more than 30 years I'm like so I went into art school with a really good job making a lot of money and married and I left art school (laughs) divorced (laughs) And not, and with no job, but it, yay, you know, but I, it really, it was like, it was such a fundamental, like, wow, I have just not been me ever. Mm. I haven't been me ever. Yeah. And I've, I've listened to your, how to draw a naked man. It's fantastic. And one thing you mentioned in there, in that art is process class is, you know, your instructor, I think it was Rhoda, was saying there's no right way yeah. to make art and no wrong way. Was that and I was like, no, no, no. for you? Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be. Yeah. <laughs> I've lived in a very black and white world. There is clearly a right way to do this and a wrong. And it was like all four wheels were falling off my car because I'm yeah. like, I just, it had never occurred to me 
that gray existed in the world. It just, mm. it just never occurred to me. There was a right way. There was a wrong way. That's how I was raised, man. You know, so it was, it, it was frightening. Yeah. I, I imagine it would have been. Mm. So mm. how did you unlearn that? Oh, golly, I still unlearn it. You know, I yeah. still work with that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's deep, man. But, you know, mm. I think it was because, I mean, what I ended up doing with art school, at, at some when I realized, it was, so I went to the School of Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, where I went. Mm-hmm. They had, like, the museum school in Japan and the museum school in Paris, and, and I went to the museum school in Ireland, and they had a watercolor class. I hate to watercolor, but it had been on my heart for a long time to go to Ireland. Didn't know why. And I went over to Ireland and I'd been there for like a week and was like, at this point, I was still married to my husband. We were separated. We've been separated for two years. You know, that was not a whim. We, you know, that was a divorcing him. I was like, boom, let's go. You know, that was well thought out. And we'd put a lot of time and effort into that to realize that was the right thing to do. But I went over to Ireland. I'm like, I can't write that guy a letter, much less be married to him. Like the clarity just came really through. The clarity that, I mean, distance brings clarity, at least for me, to get it, get out of something. And I realized that I had constructed this life that required a very high-paying job I didn't want anymore. Mm-hmm. And so in one week, I quit my job, sold my car, divorced my husband, got rid of all of my, you know, apartment, you know, cashed out my retirement savings and moved over to Ireland. And it sounds insane. And I look back and go, who was that person who did that? But yeah. it was the right thing to do at the time. Like everything just shut down at, on one, in one week, you just shut down. And so for me to unlearn that, I really had to remove myself from this place that had taught me that. Mm-hmm. And I went over to Ireland, which I thought was going to be for six months. It ended up being for four years. Wow. I got the right husband. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, and he had just, you know, he had been raised to have a specific kind of job, hated it, went to Africa for a year photographing birds, came back, was a late college student, you know, was a mature student. And so we, I met someone who was in the same, sort of in the same position of like, I don't want to, I don't want to live how I've been raised. And I want to, I want to do my own thing. So, you know, it's nice to have company while you're trying to unlearn yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I, when I came back to the States, it was like, oh, I'm back in that place where there are all mm. these expectations. And how do I, you know, how do I make sure that I don't succumb to this criteria? Like, I think, you know, there's the world judges us in a certain set of criteria. Some of that's useful. Some of it's not. I had to shift the criteria I used to judge myself. I had to shift what was success to me. And that that and I still struggle with that. It's like, wait, aren't I supposed to have three homes now? And you know, or, or you know, aren't I supposed to have you know, I look at people that I, you know, went to college with and you know, they're in a very different place than I am. Um, mm. in a lot of, you know, material comforts and those kinds of things. But I have a great life, you know. It's not like I'm living in a tent. We have a lovely home in New Hampshire. I mean, but it's it's a, but it's different. It's a it's a it's a much simpler life than a lot of my friends. Um, Grace Paley said I saw this great talk that she had. The writer Grace Paley, and she said the key to a successful artistic life is to have a partner who believes in your work and what you do, mm-hmm. and low overhead. And I'm like. 
that's it. I mean, it's really a practical thing. You can be a lot more free if you've got low overhead. And if we go back to this unlearning, you mentioned just before that you had to shift the criteria that you were judging yourself by. So if we go back before you were accepted into the Museum of Fine Art in Boston, when you were sort of at the end of your six-week art class, you've mentioned, I think it's in the How to Draw a Naked Man, One Woman Show, that Bob, one of your instructors, Mm. encouraged you to apply to art school. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to tell your story, but could you share a glimpse into what was going through your head when he suggested you do that? Well, as I say in the show, I was like, well, surely I'm, I'm sure he's trying to hit on me. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I was convinced that this, I was really not talented at all and that, you know, he was probably just trying to flatter me. And, you know, then, of course, I find out he's been in like an 18-year relationship with a man. So he's clearly <laughs> not interested in me at all. Talk about errant ego or whatever was happening there. And then I was just coming with all these other excuses like, oh, maybe they knew I worked for Harvard Business School and they thought I had a lot of money. And, you know, really they wanted me to donate a lot of money to the school. I mean, I came up with every single possible reason, very creative reasons, I might add, (laughs) of why I was, they wanted me to be in art school, none of them having to do with talent. And not even that I have that much talent, but just the curiosity and the desire. And, you know, I had obviously halfway talented or they, you know, I wouldn't have been accepted. But, you know, it was just there was more, it was more about the mindset of being an artist. It was so clear I had the Mm. mindset or wanted the mindset of an artist and was leaning that way. And Charles, you know, looked at me as I'm going through all of this, you know, angst around this. He's like, Trisha, you know you're an artist. You're one of us. And I was like, oh, my God, someone said it out loud. And it took me, it took me years to even put on my resume that I was a part-time student at the museum school because I felt like I was going to get in trouble. (laughs) Like, how could I possibly say that I was that? You know, and then I can remember the first time I told somebody I was an artist, I was like breaking out in a full sweat. You wow. Know? And I think it's because we have like artist with a capital A, you know, and, it, mm. and it's all, you know, it's like, you know, it's just a lowercase a. You know, I, I mean, I think we said, well, if I'm an artist, that means I have to make great stuff all the time. Oh and, gosh, you know, just it's right. like, and if I'm going to just disappoint my family like this or, or go off this beaten track it's got to be really good you know I mean it's just just all of this pressure to like we live in a society and maybe Australia is different but certainly in the United States what have you produced you know not what are you in the process of you know what are you exploring Mm. what are you curious about what are you Mm. you know what's the process it's like what did you make how much did you make and you sold it you know I mean you know yeah how how clinical and cold to say that it's very much the same here it's just so uninteresting. Mm. Mm. So to embrace that creative process and in a way go against what society expects of us, you know, very much focused on outcomes. What did you mm-hmm. produce? What have you done? How much have you made? You were being different. You're going against the tide. Was there fear inside you? when you? Oh, when God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, but what is that great thing? Uh, courage is fear that has said its prayers. I mean, is that, that's basically mm. it. I mean, you know, it's. I mean, if you're doing anything that's different, it's. Um, you know, it's hard. It's it's just hard. 
but for me, staying the same and doing the same thing, I was, I was going to die. I was either going to be an alcoholic. I was going to, I mean, I just, there was no way. I was, I was slow. I mean, I was going to die. If I stayed the same, maybe not literally, but certainly in my soul, it was like, this is not, this is not good. I'm on a bad path. It's not good for me. It's not good for people I'm around. And when I ended up going to art school, I mean, it was bumpy, you know, for a while, my family was like, what the hell? And and is there, you know, there, it just feels like, and I, I mean, I have to say, I had to, I had to work really hard at not being like self-righteous. I have seen the light and the way is the arts and all of you are, you know, leave your jobs and follow me, you know, I mean, it, you know, pit, <laughs> Not everybody wants to take this plunge. Not everybody's right. built to do this, you know. And some people can, you know, lead a very creative life in a corporate setting. You know, some people, it just, everybody has a different medium. You know, it, 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 it everybody has a different medium. And some people can be the CEO and, and be a concert pianist at the same time. You know, it's like how, you know, my goal and the work that I'm doing now and, and the podcast that I have, this No Time to Be Timid podcast and the stories I tell on stage, I, fi- I figured out, oh, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to get people, I'm just trying to elevate creativity and elevate artists. And, and so it's integrated or at least, right. you know, that it's a part of people's lives, that it's not an either or, that it can be mm. a both and. For me, and because I work in a corporate setting now. I mean, now I'm hired as a storyteller going into corporate settings. Like right, I have right. this, I'm hired because I have an extensive business background and this artistic experience. And so it makes me more valuable in both settings, you know. So it, it's not like I've said, be done, corporate world, you know. You know? Right. And yeah. I mean, it, it had a, if I had my druther, druthers, I would sit in my studio all day long and make stuff. I mean, I would mm-hmm. never work for anybody but me just sitting in my studio and making stuff and getting on a stage and performing. But, you know, that's mm-hmm. not completely realistic. And I also have this mission or this passion to to sort of help people mine their stories, mine their creativity so that they don't hit 35 and snap like I did and right. say, I got to go, you know. <laughs> There's an easier way to do that. I don't recommend right. my approach, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you on that one. And you mentioned, you know, you're the No Time to Be Timid podcast. But let's, I'd love to hear more about the movement you're beginning with the No Time to Be Timid or the, the, the path you're on you know, I guess helping to integrate creativity in our lives. It's not an either or, like you just said. It isn't. It isn't. So tell me so, more about that. Well, you know what? I'm just, it's funny. So I have this amazing creative coach who I worked with. His name is Mark McGinnis. He's in Bristol in England. I had for years been working on a memoir that did, that did not get picked up, which at the time was just so traumatic. And now I'm like, okay, I just repurpose it and use it other places. While I was writing it, I was like, Am I supposed to be writing a memoir or a manifesto? Mm. I don't know. Am I supposed to be I don't know. And I kept going in my head. And then I kept thinking that I should be reading a book on Joan of Arc. And I don't know why, but I'm like, I really need to read about Joan of Arc. Mm. And I would occasionally go into the library and say, do you have a book on Joan of Arc? And they'd say no. And I'd go, okay. You know, I never pursued it. But it was on my heart. So I meet this creative coach 
and he's, we start working with each other. And he's like, Trisha, what do you really want to do? And I said, I don't even know what I mean when I'm saying this. But I think I'm supposed to start some kind of movement. And I don't know what that even means. And he says, you know what, Trisha? I think that you ought to read a book by other people. You know, other people who've started a movement. I think you need to read about Joan of Arc. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and then he said, and then I think, you know, you really ought to write a manifesto. And I'm like, okay, this is just bizarre. It was yeah. just bizarre. And so I'm like, okay, I just needed one person to give me permission. So, you know, I wrote this manifesto. And I think the movement is starting with the podcast. Um, I'm starting to do some workshops as well. I've had a retreat. I'm doing, I'm actually leading a workshop in the next couple of weeks. And so slowly but surely, I think, you know, I've never done a movement before. I'm doing it this way. I'm actually starting to speak more on larger stages of, you know, uh, talking about making that move from from a, a space of conforming to a space of creativity. For me, my declaration of conformity ended up morphing into the No Time to Be Timid manifesto. You know, so sort of helping people. And I haven't, I mean, I'm just figuring out as I go. Rosie, to be honest with you. But, you know, really, what are the best? I mean, I had a friend of mine say, this needs to be an app. I'm like, huh. I mean, I'm, I'm like a yellow, you know, yellow pad and pencil kind of girl. So, yeah. you know, when someone says, do an app, I'm like, well, there's an idea I'd never thought of before, you know, and that may have its place in time. But so, you know, I don't know. I'm just looking for the right platforms and just kind of getting, you know, getting the word out. Yeah. And you've you've written this manifesto now, haven't you? You've got 10 I principles. I have written the manifesto. I have. Which it's it's amazing. And I'd love to dive in a bit more to it. I'll quickly list off the 10 principles and then maybe we can dive into a couple of them because yeah, I think we'd yeah. be here for weeks if we did all of them. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we've got the riskiest thing you can do is play safe. That's the first principle. Yes. Number 2. There is more than one right way in life. Mm -hmm. Number three, don't expect a linear path. Four, creativity is not a frivolous pursuit. Five, logic can work against you. Six, practicality is overrated. Seven, constraints are opportunities. Eight, failure is your friend. Nine, there is courage and community. And ten, make art now. When I read those 10 principles, it was almost like I felt a weight was lifted. I thought, ah, oh, this is what I want to be doing. Like, I just felt this, this is how I want to live life. And I, I'm curious, is, is there thought behind the order in which those principles are listed? And how did you even come up with them? Uh, there, you know, there were so many versions. <laughs> I, can I mean, I could really have been a manifesto that was like, and I finally had to go like rein it in, you know, just yeah, yeah. put. And then I think for me, I like my mantra, like probably on my gravestone, there will be the riskiest thing you can do is play it safe. That mm. for me is really the most important thing because that was, you know, that was, you know, I learned, you know, I just, I was so instructed that, play it safe and it's all going to work out. Actually, it was it never worked out for me and that my all the things I thought I was going to get when I played it safe, I got when I took risk. 
more of a community, more connection, more, you know, of the things that made me feel alive. I actually had a listener send me an email. It was just so lovely. She said, you know, I was doing everything. It took me a while to realize that the least safe I could thing I could do was play it safe. And but she was in a job that paid her a ton of money. So she could mm-hmm. go and go to the doctors who were making, you know, treating all the ailments right. that she was having because she's in this job that she hated. And that she mm-hmm. made a change and left. And it was very satisfying to hear that. And you know, and my goal is not to say leave your jobs, you know, and you know, <laughs> run wild, run free. But yeah. but it's more to finding that balance, you know, finding that balance. It's scary to walk into that first art class. And it's scary to say, you know, I've really always wanted to write a screenplay and I'm actually gonna do it. And so that's why the risk is being vulnerable and saying, this may not work, it might work, or it might take me to a place I don't want to go. I mean, I, I, you know, I always say, you don't have to, like, divorce your husband and leave the country to be an artist. You might eventually, but at first, you know, (laughs) you just can start out small. But yeah, so the riskiest thing you do is, is, was a definitely going to be the first one for me. That was going to be the first one. That one just hit straight to my core when I read that. I, I, mm. I definitely believe that to be true. And my creative journey is, is interesting. Like my dad, he's no longer alive, but he was an artist. Since he was a little oh. kid, he'd be sculpting things and making things. I've got a shed f- full of hundreds of his paintings. You know, like he was truly an artist, not that I think he ever fully owned, mm. you know, that title, which I think is true for many artists. But for me, I think... My creativity shows up in different ways, but when I left high school, I actually was accepted into an arts degree. And my very first lesson was, uh, you know, there was a naked, actually it was a naked man actually in there. (laughs) And I just went, oh my God, you didn't warn me there was gonna be a naked person in here. And I was so uncomfortable looking around at the other people in the room. I'm thinking, what have I done? It was actually really fun, but I- yeah. I left after a year because I thought, well, there's no safety or job security being an artist. Mm-hmm. And I went off and did teaching. And actually that was, I mean, I love teaching people, but it was quite a miserable path and it affected me mentally and emotionally and I didn't last long doing teaching. But in life I always find myself coming back to the creativity. Mm-hmm. And you do, I think you do need to take a risk. So I, I love that principle so much. And if we detour slightly, we'll come back to the principles. But you actually ended up being a nude model at at one stage. Oh, I did. I did. I did. I did. And it was funny because I was over in in Ireland and I just had no cash at Uh all. And there was an um, and there was an there was an ad for and I didn't and I didn't have a work permit. So I needed like cash under the table jobs Uh and they were looking for an artist model i'm like well i know how to do that you know Uh i mean i've never i've never done it before but i've certainly watched it and drawn for the model a million times i thought i'll do it and so i didn't i gotta tell you the very first time i'm like dropping that robe going what the hell am i doing (laughs) like what am i doing it was going against so many ways that i was raised you know like just like young lady you know women do you know 
good good girls do not do that you know and it's and i have a whole story called how to act like a lady it, it is one of yes. my favorite stories i've ever told about this whole experience of of modeling nude and um and it was great you know i was it was a great experience and um but also very surprising to me when i did it you know but you know i got i was like okay i need some cash this will work i know how to do yeah. this so yeah yeah I think this ties into principle three, you know, don't expect a linear path (laughs) because, oh my gosh, how did you end up doing that? But also, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you're a nude model anymore. I am not. Yeah. And there was an incident, if you're comfortable talking about. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you ended up, I guess, in a potentially quite dangerous and, and vulnerable situation. And I think it ties in a lot to this belief that, you know, women in particular are conditioned, I guess the word is, to please others and make them feel comfortable. But can you talk us through that experience? Oh, sure. I mean, I came out of, you know, I'm from the from the South in the, in the United States. And, you know, we're all about hospitality and and women are like, you know, as I say in my story, you know, we come out of the womb being a hostess and taking care mm. of other people and often emotionally taking care of everyone. And you never want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, ever. Right. You never make anybody feel uncomfortable and you're always meeting their needs. And so, you know, when I went on this journey of being an artist, model, being a nude model, you know, I was really good at it because I had, I know what an artist needs because mm-hmm. I'd been on the receiving end of it. Just as a funny side note, my husband, who's Irish, when I was over there, and he, at first when he found out that I was nude modeling was very worried and uncomfortable. He's like, are you safe? Mm-hmm. You're okay? I'm like, I'm, honey, I'm just a series of lines and shapes. They really, right. this is not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And he was still a little concerned. And then we got married and there, there wasn't a lot of cash. He's like looking through the paper going, okay, they're gonna got any jobs that we can send you? I'm like, he's pimping me out as a nude model. I'm like, thank you, honey, <laughs> quickly. We don't care about that anymore. Yeah. But um, so I was doing a lot of modeling in in Ireland and I mean, in Dublin, I would do it for students. And then I, you know, I got a pretty good reputation. And so artists were hiring me. Mm. And I got recommended to work for this art director who was um, in town uh, working on a movie that Angelica Houston was directing. And I'm like, this is like my big break. Wow. This is yeah. totally it. You know, because then uh-huh. he wanted to do a birthday card for her and wanted to draw from the model. And so I'm like, this is it. You know, this is here I go. All of my bravery is paid off. I'm going to just, this is going to be great. And I walked into um, his studio and immediately I was like, something is definitely off. Like I need mm. to get out of here. Mm. You know, he was watching TV, he was drinking wine, and, you know, anybody I've ever worked with before has been very focused and incredibly, I mean, it was just a completely different vibe. Mm. But, you know, because I was raised, don't make anybody feel bad. I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I'm like, oh, well, maybe his creative process is just drinking wine. Maybe this is, you know, I just sort of talked myself out of what my insides were telling me to do. Mm. And I'm on this podium, and he's got me, you know, in this pose, like a jumping jack pose, so you're incredible. I mean, I couldn't have been any more vulnerable, you know, just mm. the way I was positioned. And I sort of looked over at his mantle and he had like 10 drawings of women in the exact same position. And I'm like, okay, he just wants to see naked ladies. He really mm. doesn't want to 
draw from the model. Mm. At that moment, I really started trying to figure out how to get out of there. Like, how do I get out of here? Because I, I started just getting really, I mean, wildly uncomfortable. Like, this was, I just should not be in this space. Fortunately for me, you know, he said, this isn't working. And again, I'm like, he said it, not me. I should have yeah. said, this isn't working. I'm leaving, but I'm still mm-hmm. trying to make sure everybody's okay, even though, mm-hmm. you know, I was more concerned about him hurting his feelings than me feeling safe. And, and right. that's why I never modeled again. Not because... Yeah. Not because of him. It's because I scared myself that I I yeah. couldn't set that boundary. I yeah. could now. I mean, right. I'd, I'd model now in a heartbeat if somebody felt like drawing me because I have way better boundaries and mm. would get out of somewhere if I didn't feel safe. And, and it, oh, I mean, I was lucky as he was just a creep and not something else. But it, yeah. it shocked me that I had thought I'd gotten so, you know, evolved in my, you know, right. womanhood. I could just be in touch with my body and all these sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, mm, we got, we still got some stuff we got to work on here. I mean, thank goodness you got out of there. Yeah. Was this a moment where you began questioning what you were doing and the path you were on? Because I think something that's often not talked about is, how damn difficult it is or can be to follow your creativity and go against the internal narratives in our mind and the expectations of society. I mean, I think the thing for me that's always been the hardest, I was raised that financial worth equals self-worth. And that is something I am still struggling with. Uh, I mean, that was so ingrained in me. And so when I... I have to be really careful because if, you know, there's hits and misses in everything you're doing. If you're on top of it also not, you know, struggling to make some ends meet or things, you know, this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen, and you have financial insecurity, pretty quickly you can start going, why did I start, why did I do this? Mm. And for me, that I, I have to have a lot of projects going. I can't right. put all my eggs in one basket. Or I'll do something where the revenue gun is away from my head while I'm working on a creative project. So mm. while I was working on that memoir, I had a job working for a company here in the States called StoryBrand, and I was a facilitator um, going into smaller businesses, larger businesses, whomever needed me, talking about how storytelling, how they use, can use storytelling in their messaging for their business. Wasn't first-person narrative storytelling, which is what I do and I teach. It was a very business application of story. But it gave me the mental bandwidth. I wasn't hustling. They'd call me up and say, hey, Trish, can you be here? And I'd say yes. You know, mm. and it, I didn't have to do any hustle. I just showed up, made some money, left, came back and wrote. And so that was a that was a really good gig, and it ran its course. And COVID slammed me. I mean, because it it you know yeah. I was all about live audiences, and and also it had run its course. And so what's been interesting for me, I've made the choice. You know, at pretty, you know, pretty advanced in my career, to not want to work for anybody. So I'm back to hustling again, and that's kind of wearing me out. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I kind of like, let me just start my own business now, you know, a- after COVID. Like, mm-hmm. how well thought out was that? But, you know, <laughs> still, <laughs> still, still to be determined. But I was just like, I don't want to work for anybody anymore. I don't, you right. know, I'm, I'm, I've been at this too long. I don't want to work for anybody anymore. I want to I be self-sufficient. I want to do my own thing. In one year, let's see, the memoir didn't get picked up, which was like, oh, 
it's all fine, but at the time it felt like a big kick. Yeah. COVID happened and I lost all my business. And then my husband was in a horrific accident. He is fine now. You would never know he was in it. But he was in a horrific accident. I'm like, well, there's a trifecta. You know, yeah. <laughs> I just like I don't know that I want to travel as much as I used to travel. And I don't know if I want to be working at you know, for somebody else to say, You need to be get on a plane on Friday and come back in two weeks. And I mean, I wanna have more control over my life. And in yeah. order to do that, that means I gotta start my own do my own thing. So Yeah. For people perhaps earlier on in their creative journey, what advice can you share for when they're at a particularly challenging time and just want to give up what advice can you give to help them see the course you know I would say you got to have a reason to get up every morning Mm. about why you're doing it so I get up every morning because my job is to put a little bit more beauty in the world my job is to create more empathy in the world. So if I'm aware of a larger reason to get up, rather than, it, you know, I had my creative coach said, don't wake up every day going, how am I gonna make money? Mm. Wake up and say, how am I gonna add value? And if you switch it, that helps a lot. And I've learned you never know who you are reaching as an artist and the seeds that you're planting. If it was easy, there'd be way more people doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think being an artist, not being, you know, there's being a full-time artist and there's practicing, having some sort of creative practice and there's, you know, there's, mm. there are different ways to, to do it. And there's different seasons. I mean, sometimes, you know, I've had seasons where all I got to do was be in the studio and make stuff. Then I've had seasons where all I, ha- all I could do was work and hope I could get to my studio. And I'd go inside and touch mm-hmm. stuff and say, oh, wait, okay, this is, I'm an artist because I touch stuff. And I'd go, it just, there's, you know, whether you're caring for an aging parent or a husband who's been in an accident or you've just had a newborn or, I mean, there's just seasons, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think advice would be just be flexible. Don't give up. Don't mm-hmm. give up. But just be flexible and be gentle and try to figure out, I, I also in my workshops and retreats try to say, think of it as a story. And in every story, there's a narrative arc. You're somebody mm-hmm. beginning and you're somebody different at the end. So who are you if you aren't an artist and you don't make this work? Y- you know, who are you at the beginning and who are you at the end? If you don't make that painting, if you don't write that short story, if you don't write that poem... how's that going to affect you? And to think about what the stakes are. What's at stake for you if you make this? What can be won and what can be lost? And it might be you just feel better. Your head just may be on better. You know, I I talked, uh, there's an artist named Amy Grant. I don't, she's a Grammy award-winning singer, songwriter over here in the Mm -hmm. United States. I had her on the podcast and she said, she, she, you know, she's, she's unbelievably successful. And she was like, I figured out one day when I was really low, I started playing songs that I've been playing for a ticketed audience for over 40 years. And she said, 
I wrote that song for me. I wrote it because I needed a soft place to land. I wrote this song because I wanted to fit. You know, and she said, here it was this whole time I thought I was making this music for a ticketed audience, and I was really Mm -hmm. making it for me. And it was so profound to hear her say that. And she said that even just making it for yourself has infinite value, Mm -hmm. infinite. And it helps me have less of a grip on the things that are undoing me in the world. Like I I have a 92-year-old mother who's suffering from dementia right now and it's really tricky. Mm. And I am more present for her if I've made some stuff in the morning, even if it's super stuff. Right now I'm just hole-punching drawings that I don't think are very good. So I'm just Mm -hmm. hole-punching them and turning them into something different, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's enough. It's enough. Yeah, yeah. It's enough. That's powerful. And I, I actually listened to that episode last night, actually. Oh, my goodness. Was, you really did your homework. Uh, but, you know, maybe we should talk about your podcast because you're, you're, your, you're just rolling out your second season now. But the first season, each episode sort of focuses on one of the principles of your yeah. um, No Time to Be Timid manifesto. And then the second season... Tell us what's, what the focus of the second season is. It's, it's really how to sustain a creative life. I mean, the manifesto yeah. is about how to start leading one. Right. And then the second season is about how do you sustain it, you know? Yeah. And so I'm asking artists, I usually, you know, I usually uh, talk to artists who are major talents but not household names. Mm. Amy in the United States happens to be a, a pretty big household name, and yeah. we just know each other from college. So I'm interested to see, like, what, you know, what keeps her going? And, you know, she's been doing this for over 40 years. Her whole focus was connection, you know, the connection with herself, connection with her community of artists. Um, my second guest was the man named Shannon Kaysen, who's just freaking brilliant. And, you know, his about the perspective you have. I asked him, how do you get through the rough patches? And he said, for me, the rough patches are the fuel they are. Ooh, They're my yeah. fuel. They are where my creativity comes from. There's no rule book on how to be an artist. And mm. sometimes you can feel, I let me speak for myself, I feel like I'm doing it wrong. I'm doing mm. this wrong. Mm. And there's just, again, I get in the manifesto, there's more than one right way in life. You know, it's like right. there's more than one right way to do something, you know. Yeah. I had some artists on my show um, they're both ordained ministers, and now they're Emmy Award-winning filmmakers. And they're yeah. doing, it's like the same skill sets, different audience. And they're, you know, they just shifted. So that's why I like to say there's more than one way to do stuff. There's mm-hmm. more than one way to be an artist. There's more than one way to be a mother. There's more than one way to be in business. There's, there's more than one way, you know, and so... So the, this, the podcast has been great for me because I talk to people I just want to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I can relate, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I want to talk to her, you know, and I pick the phone up. I'm, I'm talking to a woman. Uh, she's coming out in the next couple of weeks. Her name is Jerry Lynn Johnson, and she's a woman conductor. Mm-hmm. And there are not many women conductors. And yeah. she is a black woman conductor, so there are wow. even less of them. Yeah. 
it's fascinating conversation with her and what it's taken for her to get where she is. And um, she's amazing. She's amazing. But I'm, I talked to her for five minutes at an event I went to in December. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, she's amazing. I'm going to call her up and see if she wants to be on my show. <laughs> and she Love said it. she did. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so powerful. And I think it really hits home the importance of, and this is something that was spoken about in the first episode, I believe, of your current season, is the importance of connection and community. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important. I know for me that I feel so much, well, I feel less alone when there's community oh, around Oh, God, me. yeah. Mm. And I think Amy said it really well. She said, you know, it's it's – uh, there's a lot of solitude required to be an artist. Or an, right. There's a lot of solitude required to be an artist, but it's solitude in context. Mm. Like I'm making work alone, but I can pick up the phone or I can meet somebody for a cup of coffee or I can, you know, to have that community around me um, really to make sure I'm just not crazy. Right. Yeah. I mean, so much of it is, a, am I crazy? There's a friend of mine who I hear, he, Tim Donovan, he was one of the first people on my podcast. I send him a text and I'll always say, the ship is sinking. <laughs> <laughs> Code for, I really need some help out of this, please. Uh-huh. You know, the uh-huh. ship is sinking. One more thing I really want to touch on, and this is another one of your principles. And I think it really ties in for when we're in those dark places, is that failure is your friend. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Tell us yeah. more. Yeah. You know, I, there have been so many times I've gotten a no, and it's been, thank God I got the no. Right. I mean, sometimes you don't know it at the time, but then I look back and I'm like, I wasn't ready for that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That would not have been a, a, a successful path for me. This is not the right person to be in collaboration with. There's a great line, man's rejection is God's protection. You know, sometimes mm. we can think, sometimes the no is the best thing. And, and often the no is a not yet. You know, I think failure, as Amy says as well, um, she taught me this, because when the memoir didn't get picked up, I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? You know, I'd just been mm. working on this thing and I'd gotten some really good feedback and mm-hmm. it just was the wrong timing. It was just, it was right before COVID hit and then when it hit, everybody was scrambling and it was just, you know, what there may have been some follow-up, but the world turned upside down. Mm. And I called up Amy, I'm like, okay, what do I do about this? And she said, Trisha, in our house, a no is as good as a yes. Just mm. redirects you. You know, I'm a good writer. I think I'm a solid writer. I'm a way better storyteller. Mm-hmm. I mean, my voice is really my medium yeah. as opposed to the written word. I get really tense when I write a book. Like I can do a blog and I can do like a, you know, I can do that. But if it's a book and I had a book in capital B, um, <laughs> I was just, you could, all that tension, you could just feel it going through. You could, I mean, I read it now and go, ooh, I'll go back and read a blog from, you know, 10 years ago and go, this is really snappy, you know. Yeah. But, but the memoir, I just, there, ooh, I somehow I just couldn't, 
it wasn't me. So it's like, maybe I'm not using my best gift. My best gift, I think, is my voice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the connection I can feel with people. I mean, I'm not saying I'm never going to write a book. If somebody asks me to write one, sure. Yeah. But I think, you know, I lead with my strength, which is conversation, story. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a reminder, too, that it's not always about that end result wasn't about the memoir getting picked up there was a whole process there and a journey that actually was yeah there's the lessons to be learned from that and your yeah. life I would like to think is richer because of that yeah and the other thing is you know you have disappointments you grieve them you move on right you know you just do there's a fantastic book I would recommend everybody to read by Seth Godin it's called The Practice it's an amazing book it's an amazing book, really just about why we make art, the process of making art, what it's all about, the vulnerability behind it, the business side of it. You know, just I remember when I was doing my one woman show, I was like, well, if, if I was really good at this, then I would have this whole team of people and all these things would be in place and blah, blah, blah. And I was really beating myself up. He was like, well, in today's world, we, we have to be impresarios, which, is mean, which means we do everything. And mm-hmm. I'm like... I've been doing it right all along. (laughs) (laughs) Who knew? I was ahead of the curve, you know. It's just crazy, the stuff that we beat our, you know, it's like, I mean, if I told you how many times I said, well, if I was a real artist, you know, it's like, what does that even mean? Stop it. Right. I don't say it anymore, but I said it for years if I was Mm. a real artist. Mm. And I know for me, my internal dialogue, it can be so cruel. I would never talk to someone else Mm. the way I talk to myself. We can be horrible, right? Uh, It's just the worst. I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's just terrible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I work really hard on that about making sure that I try to be gentle because it's not my go-to. My go-to is harder, harder, work harder, harder. It's like, mm, why don't you just go draw some stuff? You know? yeah. <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, for years I glued tea bags together. It was the best thing I ever did, wow. you know. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I think, I think if I was going to also like update this manifesto, I might put something in there about be nice to yourself. <laughs> you know? oh, absolutely. Be nice to yourself. Got to be nice to yourself. Be yeah. gentle. Yeah, you can't, you know, you just be the, the, the beating yourself up gets you nowhere. Yeah. The the saying, I showed up today for 15 minutes, yay me. That's, you build on that. You build on that. And because there is, a, there is stamina that's required. There's mm. stamina that's required to be an artist. You, it's just like any, like practicing running a marathon. I mean, you've just, you just, you have to have the stamina. And, you know, for me, I need to show up at the same time every day. You know, and I get that in my, I get that in my bones and I'm like, yep, here I am. Okay. My body knows time. Here's another book that's amazing is Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art. And Mm. it talks about resistance and it's an amazing book. It's an amazing book. Mm. And speaking of resistance, before we sign out, are there any words of wisdom you can share to those of us out there, and this includes me, and I'm sure you've been at this stage in various parts of your artistic journey, that are resisting, whether we're aware of it or not, our inner creativity. You know, I would say the resistance is the, is the biggest thing that we fight because mm. my studio's in my backyard. 
It is about 50 feet from my house. It's the longest 50 feet I walk every day. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I could go, you know, there's grout in the, in the bathroom. I could clean the <laughs> grout first, you know, and I sh- probably should check my, whatever my bank balance is now. I mean, we can come up with so many reasons why something else is more important. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And that's why I say creativity is not a frivolous pursuit. Mm-hmm. It's we're you know I was I was raised that somehow that creativity was a lesser skill like that what mattered was analysis and logic mm-hmm. and math and practicality and all of those things which can immediately se- be seen as useful and anything other than that was secondary far you know far distant and it's just not true at all but unlearning mm-hmm. that. I'm learning that to say, okay, wait a second. This creativity that I'm bringing to the table, this matters equally to analysis and the logic. I mean, there's different parts of the brain. There's hard skills and soft skills. You need intuition. You need creativity. You need all that stuff in one phase of your project. And then all the other stuff, the analysis and the logic and all that stuff takes over too. You need both. You need both. I think that that... It's not so much resistance, well, resistance plays a part, but also it's mindset of yeah. valuing that gift, of valuing that ability to be creative. I mean, everybody loves iPhones. Somebody really creative came up with that. Mm. It was a, cre- you know, it was, it had to be, the, you know, the, the idea that had to come from that, you know, it's started from of intuition and creativity and all that stuff and then all the other thing engineering blah 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 i think just understanding the value and it's hard when the rest of society is saying you know what have you made what have you done Mm. how much money have you made blah 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 to say you know well i'm working on this Or I'm exploring this idea. We're all works in progress. Artists are just in it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And it's far more interesting to say I'm working on something as opposed to say I did this thing five years ago. You know, it's way more interesting to say I'm working on something. So, So, but it is, it's just believe, you know, and also the, the only way to get through it is to make sure you have community. Because if you're on your own trying to do this, and you've got, you know, parents looking at you cross-eyed going, why don't you go get a real job? And Or yourself saying, why don't I go get a real job? Yeah, or yeah. you got to have people saying, no, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. I will tell you, I have a wonderful story. I was working on the memoir. And I was supposed to have a meeting and it fell through and I was very discouraged and blah, blah, blah. And I'm walking around. I live in the woods of New Hampshire. I have a great big walk right out front of my house. And I was like, I happen to be a person of faith. And I was like, okay, God, if you want me to still be doing this, I need some kind of sign from somewhere because this is just too freaking hard. And I need, I need, some, I need a sign from something. Mm-hmm. And I was home for about an hour and a half. And I get this completely unsolicited email from a woman in Australia who I am, oh, wow. am friends with <laughs> mm-hmm. on Instagram. And she said, I just wanted to write and tell you how much your video, How to Draw a Naked Man, meant to me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, when my Nana sent it to me, I thought, we even have a grandmother involved now. Okay. You know, when my Nana sent it to me, I thought she was crazy. But I now I watch the video like every six months and I cry every wow. time. And, wow. it, and she shifted what her, going from her job to a much more creative job. And I mean, I was just weeping. And my, and my husband was like, okay, if you ever wonder if you're just this one person was worth it all, you know. <laughs> so you just, you never know, you just never know the impact you're going to. I mean, I, re- I got that email from her like 10 years after I told that story on stage. Wow. You know, nine or 10 years after I told that story on stage. And so... You know, you just have no idea. You just throw the seeds out there, don't know what they're gonna, what's gonna spring from them, and there you go. Yeah, you never know. Mm-mm. Here's to integrating creativity, pulling a community around us, and remembering that the riskiest thing you can do is to play it safe. That's it. And fair play to you, Rosie. You're starting this podcast. You are right. On. Right. Yeah. You're stepping out, you know, you're doing this thing. It's fantastic what you're doing. Oh, thank you. It's fucking terrifying, can I just say? Excuse the language. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> yeah, right. But I'm I'm embracing the process and it it, yeah. it does take a lot of unlearning. It really yeah. does. It's a continuous journey, but I'm glad that I've taken the plunge to go on this path. I'm not in the nine to five anymore and I'm just figuring it out and I trust yeah. the money will come. Um, and yeah. I'm trying not to have that, you know, as, as my first thought when I wake up because that's not a good thing to drive my creativity. No. I mean, you know, there is, we are of this earth and there are practical needs. There's just, you know, that's yeah. just, yeah. there's always that tension. There's always that tension. And I've just accepted there's probably always going to be that tension. Right. Sometimes there's going to be less, sometimes going to be more, you know. And so it's just part of it. It's just part of it, and it's okay. But you know, you you there's you'll figure out you know how many different ways you want to skin the cat. You just figure yeah. out what works for you. Trisha, thank you so much. I could what keep a treat, to Rosie. You you're a fabulous hours. interviewer. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's really nice feedback. And Trisha is the best place for people to find out more about what you do, and perhaps they want to listen to some of the things we've referred to today. Is the best place for them to go your website? Yes, trisharosebert.com. So everything's on the website and you can access the podcast from the website as well. I mean, of course, I'm on Apple and Spotify and all those places that we're supposed to be. But if you want to, you know, and I'm on Instagram and all those places, I'm in all those places. So it's just if you put Trisha Rosebert, I will come up. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but, you rank uh, in search. Yep. <laughs> I, yes, I will come up. And so, uh, but anyway, yeah, so no, it's just, it's was such a treat to be a part of your show. So congratulations. Oh. Thank you. Yep, it's happening. And I'm just absolutely stoked that you agreed to come on the show. So thank you once again. It's been wonderful. Thank you.